It's good to see all of you out tonight. Glad you braved the weather to be here. And I trust that when we're done here in a few moments, you will be glad that you made the effort and braved the weather and got reminded of some things you already know, but uh, it's good to be reminded. Did I tell you where to turn to? John chapter 14. If I didn't, that's where you need to be, John chapter 14. I know we've got some sickness going around. We need to be in prayer for those who are sick. Berto, I know, is sick. He uh, has been sick all day. And then I visited with Shirley uh, earlier in the day, and she's got a bad case of shingles. And so she is not feeling good. And I know that she would appreciate your prayers. And uh, don't know if there's any others who are under the weather, but Reese's puny. I thought she might be. So, all right. Be in prayer for those who are sick and pray that they get restored quickly. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will get started. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, that you've given us a, a warm place to assemble tonight. I pray that you'd help us to give attention to your word. I know that a lot of things can be on the hearts and minds of people during a midweek service. I understand that those things many times can serve as a distraction and keep us from hearing what we need to hear. And tonight, I pray that you would uh, just help us again to give attention to your word or that you'd help us to be reminded of a very simple truth, but yet uh, uh, such an important truth. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know you know this, and I, I'm not reviewing tonight just for the sake of killing time and wasting a few moments. I want to remind us that it was four weeks ago that we began looking at uh, some doctrines that are under attack in our culture and our society today. And uh, as I said a few weeks ago, I'm going to say again tonight, there's no way that we can cover every possible doctrine that is under attack because truth be told, it's just the Bible that is under attack and everything that the Bible stands for and everything that the Bible teaches but it was the very first message that we dealt with that we talked about how the Scripture is our foundation for everything we believe. And if we don't believe in the authority of the Word of God, then really we have nothing to stand on and we have nothing by which to say this is our authority in life. And so it's of utmost importance that when the world would try to uh, criticize the Word of God or try to shoot holes in, uh, in the teaching of the Word of God, that we would stand firm and not allow the world to sway us from what we believe. And then after that, we dealt with the nature of God. I said then, we're not going to try to argue the existence of God because you either accept that by faith or you don't. But the problem that we have in today's society is everybody wants to create the kind of God that they want in their mind. And you can't do that and be true to scripture. So as we looked in the scripture, we watched as God identified himself and explained who he is, and he's a God of love and kindness and mercy and compassion and, and truth and all these other things, but he's also a God of judgment. And we live in a world today that likes to, to harp on the love and the compassion and the mercy side of it, and of course he is that kind of a God, but he's also a God of judgment. And so the world wants to attack the character and the integrity of God, and we cannot let them again influence us in who we believe God to be. And then it was two weeks ago, we looked at the creation of man. Science, so-called, would try to tell us that we are the result of a cosmic explosion. And over the last 14 billion years, we have evolved into this state or into this condition. And we have to remind ourselves from time to time that that's not true. 
that you and I were created by the creator, the designer of this world. Uh, we, do not, we do not live in a world that is 14 billion years old. We did not evolve from, from some other species or from some, an, some animal group. We are here because of the design and the creation of God Almighty. And many times the reason that people want to remove themselves from the idea of a creator is because it then removes them in their mind from his authority in their life. If I'm not created by God, then I don't have to submit to this idea of a God. And again, we cannot uh, lose sight of that, that we are created absolutely 100% by God. Then last week, we looked at this uh, most important doctrine. I mean, I say most important. It is of utmost importance by way of doctrine, and that is this. All men are sinners. We have to establish that, that every one of us are sinners. We do not, we are not sinners because we sin. I've said, and you've heard many times before, we sin because we are sinners. We, by nature, thanks to Adam, we are sinners. Adam and Eve are obviously the ones who brought about the first sin in this world. And, and as they reproduced and, of course, led to us eventually a few thousand years later, why do we sin? Because we are sinners. And that's just the plain and simple truth of it. All of us have sinned, and yet we live in a society and a, a culture today where we want to rename sin and give them a, a different name that doesn't sound quite as offensive or sound as, uh, as, as harsh as it may be. And if we don't rename it, then we just excuse it. Well, it's not my fault. You don't understand. You don't know my past. You don't know my background. And on and on it goes. And so if we can somehow rename our sin or excuse our sin, then it was no longer sin. And the Bible said in the book of Isaiah to the children of Israel, woe that call evil good and good evil. It's been going on for thousands of years where men and women do not want to admit the sinfulness of their life. And if you and I are going to be right before God, and if we want our society to be right before God, we have to be willing to call sin, sin. We cannot buy into all this psychological mumbo-jumbo that says, well, this isn't sin, this is just a behavioral issue, this is just a mental issue, this is that or whatever it may be. No, we have to call sin, sin. We have to. And so tonight we're going to continue on in what I hope to be somewhat of a, a systematic approach to uh, this study and what I believe to be of, of importance next in our line of thought. Before we do, I want to share a thought with us that I may have shared in the past, and if I've shared it more than a couple of times and you know the story as well as me, I apologize because that can happen sometimes if you uh, give as many messages or lessons as I do. Uh, it can happen where you repeat yourself more than you realize. But I was thinking about it this week, as, and today as I was putting all my thoughts together, I was thinking about one of the first sermons I ever preached in Tulsa at Eastland Baptist, there where I was an intern. And uh, I was given the chance to preach on a Wednesday night. And I've told you before, uh, this preaching career or this preaching ministry, whatever you'd like to call it, it, it didn't start out very good at all. And so here I am preaching on a Wednesday night, probably about 400 people in attendance, and I'm scared to death, and I have no idea what I was preaching that night. I have no idea what my subject was. I have no idea what the point of the message was. But here I am, all of 24 years old, and I felt the need to approach a subject from the pulpit that was kind of a controversial, touchy subject. Yeah. 
fresh out of Bible college, going to a church where the pastor's been there 25 years. There's a little bit of division on this subject, a little bit of controversy around this subject and some debate. And at age 24, I felt like I was in a place and a position where I could address this and I'm sure help the pastor out. So I just blurted it out right there, the issue that was at hand, and I made this statement. Now, I don't even know what I believe about this statement. So I know that the issue is out there. I know that the division is out there concerning this issue. And, and as a staff member, I just let it be known. I don't really know where I fall on this issue. So if you're for it, hey, I might be for it. If you're against it, might be against it. Now, I was honest in my statement but it was stupid to make the statement, especially from the platform in front of the church family when I had been on staff maybe a month and a half or two months. And so the statement is made. Nobody, of course, really addressed it with Dumbo up there. You know, he's just a stupid intern. All right, so I don't know. A while later, we were in a staff meeting, and that subject came up. And my pastor, who was also obviously my boss, was very kind and gracious uh, about it. He said, listen, you may not know what you believe on this particular subject, but I'll tell you, as long as you're on staff here, here's what you believe. Amen. And I said, yes, sir. Now... In today's culture, some 16 years removed from that, some people might say something like this. How arrogant. How dare him tell you that this is what you will believe. And yet, while today's society and culture would say, I will tell you what you're going to believe, while they would say that that is arrogant and inappropriate and uncalled for, and you should let the guy think whatever he thinks, feel whatever he feels, it wasn't inappropriate at all. Why? He's the boss. He was the authority. I was not the boss. I was not the authority. I was not the one in charge. And so it was very easy. If I want to continue working here and make money and provide for my family, then I will fall in line with what he says I believe. And if it's that big a deal that I don't want to do that, then just remove yourself from the authority. And then you can go believe whatever you want to. Now, I'm saying all that to get to a point that we'll get to in a few moments, but tonight I want to remind us, what are we by nature? Every one of us are sinners, okay? Every one of us are sinners. You're not exempt. I'm not exempt. Our precious little children are not exempt. Every one of us are sinners. Now, as a result of our sin, here is what we understand tonight, and I'm going to, to approach this as though we agree with much of this without me trying to prove it to you. But here's what most of us would agree to, that because of our sin, humanly speaking, our sin separates us from God. The Bible makes that fairly clear. Whenever Adam and Eve sinned, it did not enhance their relationship with God, but rather it separated them from God and it drove a wedge between them. And so as a result of my sin and as a result of your sin, in that condition that we refer to as a lost condition, here is what we would say. It is our sin that separates us from an almighty, loving, righteous God. 
It is also because of our sin that the Bible teaches, and we believe tonight, I trust that we do without going into a big, long explanation, that it is because of sin that you and I will experience a physical death, but not just a physical death, but for those who are not reconciled unto God, for those who are not a child of God, what will also be the result of one's sin is not just separation, but it will also result in a spiritual death, which will then in turn result in... when the physical death takes place, an entrance into an eternal place called hell, a place of of fire and brimstone. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, please know that in a couple of weeks we're going to deal with the subject of hell because here's what you know if you pay attention to people anywhere in today's society, they don't mind talking about heaven, but they don't want to talk about hell. They don't mind talking about this big happy place up in the sky that everyone gets to go to. But if you start talking about hell and the fact that people enter into hell on a daily basis, people don't want to believe that and they don't want to accept that and they don't want to take a literal view about that. So we are certainly going to deal with that in the upcoming messages. But here's what I want us to think about tonight. Knowing that our sin separates us from God and knowing that our sin leads not just to a physical death but to a spiritual death and to the person who never repents of their sin will one day enter into an eternal place called hell. Here's what I want us to think about tonight. No one wants to go there. Nobody wants to go to hell. Now, since no one wants to go to hell, that means, as I just said, everybody wants to go to heaven. So here's what you know. There are some variations in thoughts and beliefs on how a person might be able to enter into heaven. Did you know that not everyone is of the exact same mind and the exact same conviction on how a person enters into the presence of heaven? Yeah, I I, I trust that you do, and, and I trust that you understand that this is very much a doctrine under attack. Let me just share a couple of thoughts that you know that I just want to remind us of tonight. I see this almost every time I help somebody with the funeral. I see or hear something like this. In visiting with a family who needs a minister to help bury their loved one or their friend, they say something like this, they believed in God. They believed in God. The, the family or the friends tell you this as though that took care of it. Can you tell me a little bit about their faith? Ah, oh, they believed in God. Okay. Tell me, what, what, what do you know about your mother or your father or your brother or your sister or whoever it is I'm, I'm helping you with today? Tell me a little bit about them. Well, they believed in God. And they sit there with this, this confidence. They sit there with like this attitude of, you know, everything's good. Everything's fine. Everything's okay with, with Uncle Bill or, or Aunt Shirley or whatever it may be. Why? Because, well, mom or dad, they believed in God. It's as though they're of the mindset that because of their belief in an invisible figure up there in the clouds somewhere, that somehow that exonerates them from all the sins they've committed and the sinful lifestyle they chose to live in. Never mind they lived like the devil. Never mind they never attended church. Never mind they were profane. Never mind they were immoral. Never mind this, that, or the other. 
just, just know, preacher. Hey, just know, you narrow-minded, legalistic, independent, fundamental Baptist. Just know, my daddy believed in God, and I don't want to hear anything otherwise. Now see, this goes back to the whole issue of the authority of Scripture, but here is what our world and our society does not want to hear. They do not want to hear, say, a verse like James 2.19. Now you say, well, what does James 2.19 mean when I'm in John chapter 14? Well, James 2.19 says this, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. Now understand, and I know that you know this, but we need to be reminded of this because I just want to throw this little thought in here, okay? I am amazed at what comes out of the mouths of believers sometimes. You know, I mean, people who profess to be Christians, and they'll say things like this. Well, you know, they believed in the Lord. James says the devils also believe, and not only do they just believe in God, they tremble at the idea of God. Do we recognize tonight that the devils, they not only believe in God, they tremble at the mention of His name. They tremble to be in the presence of God. There is a, there is a fear of God in the hearts and in the minds. I mean, not the hearts, I should say. But in the minds or in the being of even the devils themselves. Now, I don't think you have to be a real deep Bible scholar to know this, that the devils of this world, the demons of this world, they're not going to spend eternity in heaven. Now, now follow this, please. So if the demons are not going to spend eternity in heaven just because they have an awareness, mental awareness of who God is, then our friends or our loved ones or the loved ones of our friends and loved ones, they're not going to heaven just because... They believe in God. We've got to be reminded of this, that it's not just the people who say they believed in God. It's the people who place their confidence in religion. They place their confidence in religion. I was visiting with someone a few weeks ago, and they were telling me about a particular family member, and, and I, I wasn't even asking about this. I just said, you know, is your family member still alive? And, and their immediate response was, yes, they've been an elder at their church for X number of years. I wasn't even asking you about their spiritual condition. But do you understand what I'm saying whenever I, I make this statement? Who cares? I mean, it's fine that you're an elder at a church. It's fine that your loved one is an elder at the church. But, I mean, a person's religion, listen, a person's religion means nothing by way of escaping hell and entering into heaven. Somebody says something like this. Well, they were a member of the Baptist church. Who cares? There is nothing valuable in and of itself to be a member of a Baptist church. We're Baptists. We're Baptists through and through. I mean, I'm glad to be a Baptist. I'm proud to be a Baptist. But if the only thing a person can hang their hat on is the fact that they're a member of a Baptist church, they are in trouble. 
Well, they've been in the Methodist church for however many years. They've been in the Lutheran church for however many years. They've been in the Episcopal church for however many years. I don't care how many years they've been a part of a church. At best, all the individual has at that time is religion. See, if religion gained us favor with the Lord, wouldn't we kind of have to take it easy on the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees had religion. They had the practice. They had the talk. They had the dress. They had the swagger. I mean, they had everything going on. I mean, they knew the talk. They knew how to impress their, their fellow brethren. And, and they knew how to, again, say everything that needed to be said and do everything they needed to do. And what did Christ constantly do to the Pharisees? He constantly rebuked them because all they had was their religion. Now, again, I just want to throw this in by way of an insert, and that is this. I am amazed at the number of people who, when family dies or friend dies, never mind how ungodly the individual may have been away from the church, they'll say something like this. Well, you know, they went to that church all their life. I'm just guessing something happened. I'm guessing not a lot happened. If they lived this kind of a life... And it never really changed them. But some people assume, well, I believe in God, so therefore I, I must be okay with God. Other people believe that their religion is going to do it. And then, of course, you understand this to be true, that many people just like to hold on to their good works. They're good people. I mean, not only do they believe in God, not only do they have a measure of religion that, that they adhere to and that they abide by throughout some form of their daily life, they're also just pretty good people. They can tell you when they were baptized. And? They can tell you when they were confirmed. Okay? They can tell you that they were an usher in the church, or they sang in the choir, or they gave of their tithes or they taught a Sunday school lesson, or they worked in the nursery, or they played the piano, whatever it may be, but yet you try to pin them down on true salvation, and all they can point to is good works. It kind of flies in the face of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we're saved by grace through faith, Amen. not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. See, the Apostle Paul understood something, and obviously the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to pen these words. But here's what the Apostle Paul knew about himself and what he would have known about every one of us, and that is this, is if we had something to do with the process, we would have boasted about it. Hey, if I had something to do with my salvation, I'd want everybody to know. You know why I'm saved? It's because I'm a preacher. You know why I'm saved? It's because I'm a Sunday school teacher. You know why I'm saved? It's because I put a lot of money in the offering plate. You know why I'm saved? It's because I was raised in church. You know why I'm saved? It's because I work in the bus ministry. You know why I'm saved? Listen, if it had anything to do with us and our good works, we would want everyone to know just how good we were. 
And so there are those who are of the mindset, well, I'm saved because I'm sincere in my good works and, and I, try to, I try to put feet to my beliefs and to my religion. And so therefore, if you look at my belief in God, my overall religious uh, uh, activity and my works, then therefore I am saved. No, we've got to remind ourselves the Bible is clear. It has nothing to do with our works. And so here a person sits tonight, or here a person stands in our world today, and, and I would say to them, according to the authority of the Scripture, you're a sinner. Your sin separates you from God. Because of your sin, not only will you one day die a physical death, right now you are also spiritually dead. And because of that spiritual death, if that is never addressed in this lifetime, what will happen is this. One day you will die and you're going to stand before God. And if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, you will enter into a real place called hell. And they say, well, I've got my belief in God. That's not going to cut it. Well, I've got my religion. That's not going to cut it. Well, I'm a really good person. That's not going to cut it. So the question might then be by someone in today's society who was somewhat open-minded to what we're talking about tonight, okay, how then can I be saved? Well, that's where John chapter 14 comes in. John chapter 14, as you know, Christ is speaking to the disciples. He's saying, let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. But you notice in verse number 5, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? So in verse number 6, what does Christ do? He responds to the question of Thomas, and Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want to see the Father? You want to see the mansions that I have prepared for those who are saved, those who are born again, those who are children of God? You want to, you want to have that once this life is over? Then, then here's what you understand, Thomas, and here's what everyone else has to understand. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man, not, not any man, not any woman, not any child, not any elderly person, not one person in this world comes to the Father unless they come through me. What is Christ saying? Christ is saying, I am the only way to salvation. You can believe in God till the cows come home, but that will not grant you salvation. You can be religious and you can be wonderfully religious, wonderfully devoted to your religion, but that in and of itself does not result in your salvation. You can be a good person who exercises your religion in your daily life, but until you come to me, you will not ever have salvation. 
Now here's what begins to happen in today's society. Somebody hears this statement. Somebody hears this idea that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And they begin to bristle at this. And they begin to, to get resistant to this idea. And they begin to say, I don't buy that. I, I don't think it's that way. I don't think it has to be just one way. I think there are many ways in which you can approach God and come to Him and enter into heaven by a way of salvation. But the Lord said, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And so somebody says, well, I don't believe that. Well, guess what? He doesn't care. Obviously, far different than what I opened with, but it's, it's kind of like that relationship I had with the boss. Now listen, you can believe whatever you want, but I'm just telling you, so long as you're here, I'm telling you what you believe. Now listen, you can go out there and you can believe that you get saved by confessing this and, and paying this and speaking to the Father about this. You can believe that, that you get saved by having this sprinkled on you or by doing this. Or, listen, you can believe that. You're allowed to believe whatever you want. But I'm just telling you, if you really believe that the Bible is your authority and the Bible is your word of God, then here's what you must come to by way of acceptance, by way of belief, because I'm not changing for you. I am telling you that if you want salvation, you must come through me, Jesus Christ. And so somebody might say, okay, well, fine, then I believe in Jesus. Well, it's not just believing in Jesus any more than it's just believing in God. Because the scripture, as you know, elaborates on it. It's not like it just says John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but my me. While that is sufficient evidence for the positions we take. But as you know, the Bible speaks of a need to be humble and broken over our sin. You remember this? I hope that we do, and I hope that this is somewhat interesting to us tonight and somewhat helpful. I mean, listen, if somebody wants to, believe, to enter into heaven upon their death, it's not just enough to say, okay, well, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. No, there, there has to be a realization and a recognition of one's own sin. Now, I, I know this is so basic. I know that this is so simple to understand from a, from a mental aspect of it. But I'm telling you, there are people sitting in Bible-preaching churches who they hear it and they say, that's right and that's true and amen, and I don't have a problem with it. And yet, as you visit with them and you listen to their testimony, it has nothing to do with the time they dealt with their sin. When did you recognize that Jesus and Jesus alone was all that could save you from your sin? When did you recognize that it has nothing to do with your works? There are still people sitting in churches who still hold tight. And I'm not talking about weird offshoots of religion or anything like that. I'm talking about what we would consider to be 
Bible-preaching churches, people who still want to hold to the idea that they did something or they experienced something that contributed to their salvation. Friends, that is not biblical. And what Satan wants you to do is believe a lie so that you can miss heaven because you believed that you could get to heaven this way or another way and somehow bypass dealing with your sin before an almighty God and asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to forgive you. The Bible also teaches that in order to be saved, you have to ask that you might be the recipient of the gift. Romans 10.9 makes clear we have to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. We have to believe the gospel. And we have to confess it with our mouth and we have to believe. In Romans 10, verse number 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm telling you, you hear some squirrely, weird testimonies when you start talking to people about their salvation. When did you get saved? Well, I had this feeling. When did you get saved? Well, there were people praying over me. When did you get saved? Well, you know, I just, I had this really weird experience and then the preacher said, you're getting saved right now. No, when, when did you acknowledge, I am a sinner? that Jesus Christ alone can save me. And I'm going to call upon his name and I'm going to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that I believe the word of God, not the words of man, not the doctrines of man, not the doctrines of some church just because it said church. When did I do business with God Amen. concerning my sin? Amen. When did I repent of my sin? When did I turn from that sinful lifestyle? You know, it's kind of interesting. If you look through the scripture, you don't have just a whole lot of references to repentance. Okay? I challenge you, look it up. There's not just a multitude of times that the Bible says you must repent, you must do this, you must do this. But just read through the New Testament. And look at the number of times that people had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And ask yourself this question, how many of them left the same way they came? They didn't. Why? Because when someone truly comes to Jesus Christ in faith for forgiveness, here is what it will do. It will change their life. It just will. That is the nature of true salvation. Now, again, to summarize all this, and again, I know that you know this, and you're probably, not, you're probably not even questioning any of this, but I'm telling you at some point in the future, somebody will challenge you on this. Because you'll hear somebody say something like this of, of Uncle Bob or Aunt Sue, whatever it is. Listen, they were a good person. You don't need to sit there and go, oh, okay, good little red flag needs to go up in your mind that says, good person doesn't mean anything. It's not that you're trying to be judgmental. You're not trying to be the Holy Spirit. You just need to be deep enough in your spiritual life to know this. Being a good person doesn't save anyone. 
At some point, somebody's going to pass away. At some point, somebody's going to, to leave this life. And, and you're going to have questions about their salvation and their eternal destiny. And somebody's going to say to you, oh, don't you know that, that they joined such and such church? You don't need to sit there and be deceived by that statement. You need in your heart of hearts to say something like this, but I wonder if they ever dealt with their sin. Well, don't you remember they believed in God? We don't need to say, oh, I'm so glad to know that. Because it means nothing. I promise you, you have people that you work with. You have people in your family. You have people in your neighborhood who truly believe they are right with God. Because they either believe in him, are religious, or they feel as though they're good enough to be a Christian. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will let these people have a pass in this life. And they will one day enter into hell. Because we became relaxed on our position and our beliefs from scripture how a person is truly born again. Do not... Allow yourself to get weak on how a person becomes a child of God. By grace, through faith, in Jesus and Jesus alone, repenting of your sins, calling upon him to save you because he will save those who do. But if we ever get weak on that, then all we are offering and peddling to anyone is just another form of religion. And that doesn't help anyone. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight to just, again, be reminded of this very simple truth. That a man or a woman can choose to believe whatever they want, but if we're going to identify with you, we have to submit to what you teach concerning the subject of salvation. Lord, would you help us tonight to recognize and admit that we live in a world that doesn't want to accept that you're the only one that there's no other way to the Father except by Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us tonight to, to realize that not everyone is friendly to such a narrow-minded doctrine. And Lord, would you help us to stay strong? Would you help us to not sway on this matter? And Lord, would you help us to have a burden for those who are lost around us? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren plays, if you'd like to pray, you've got time.